In today's episode, we're reacting to 10 parenting mistakes we should learn from before it's too late, according to Reddit. Hey everyone, welcome to the Papai Fatike podcast, the podcast for dads by dads. We recently ran across a list of 10 parenting mistakes, and we'll be sharing our thoughts on these 10 tips. But first, here's my deal. I'm Dave. I have an eight-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. I'm Jim. I've got two daughters, five and eight. So the first tip we've got here is from Kazuwaki, and it says, baby gowns are designed with wide necks so they can be taken off down the body rather than over the head. In the case of huge fecal disasters, this is important info. So Jim, what are your thoughts on this first tip here? I was confused when I read it because I don't. It never occurred to me to take the clothes off over the, over the head, head. Yeah. especially in a in a blowout situation. So I don't. It says gowns. I'm not sure what a gown is, but it you know there's the onesie with the zips and the buttons. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one. I mean the the ones that the best ones we had went from the neck all the way down to the foot, right? So yeah. you could just kind mm-hmm. of unwrap them like a burrito right. or a tortilla <laughs> or something. Yeah, yes. And then we did have uh, some sleep sacks. Uh, but same thing, that zip down the front, then you just open it up. So I'm not sure what this article of clothing is, but regardless of what it is, I would not I would not take it over the head. And we yeah, you, did we had some legendary blowouts that <laughs> that we still talk about today. Yeah, I, I remember we had to, I had to take a picture of the first blowout. I'm like that's this this has <laughs> For to posterity. Yeah, so I do have it. It's uh probably about three quarters up her back. It was it was pretty impressive. And like when they're young the poop has that certain smell, like that sort of sweet smell mm-hmm. and that like mustardy yellow color. It's very, I mean, our kids are what, eight? <laughs> you yeah. still remember very distinctly. It's very visceral. Uh, I will say one plug that I do have in talking about clothes is I found that, so we had bought a few baby clothes from Uniqlo. And I got to say, man, Japanese designed baby clothes are much better in terms of their functionality the the sort of the way the buttons are made and how they open and close which is like way better than the stuff we have here so if you are in the market for uh clothes for newborns i highly recommend them because it's just the the snaps and everything it's just a way easier to operate uh because yes you will absolutely have the blowouts to deal with it's reminded me of another tweet and i'm going to murder it but it was uh it's along the lines of if you like to do puzzles, you should have a kid because then you can learn what it's like to do a puzzle when it's trying to kick you and <laughs> kick you and scream at you when you're trying to do the buttons and the snaps. Yeah, advanced level, right? Yeah, the easier the better. <laughs> so the second um, tip we've got here is from Curiosity Killed Me, and they say if you're going to give in, give in early. For example, if your kid wants ice cream and you say no and they beg a little, that's when you give in. If you give in once they've started kicking and screaming, then you've taught them that that's how they get their way. I'm not saying always give in, and I'm not saying that you should in the first place. But if you change your mind or decide to give in, do it quick. Otherwise, follow through and keep it at no. Hey, I think that's good advice. And I lately, uh, I've been having this experience where it's <laughs> I'm not sure. It's not that I don't care, but uh, <laughs> you know they'll they'll say you know can we have a you know ice cream after dinner and like no. And then please, and they're like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> like, who cares? You know, it's kind of like, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, do I really care about this? You know, or is it just a knee-jerk reaction? Like, fine, have some ice cream, that's fine. So, yes, lately I've, there's been a, a lot of no's followed by please. All right, fine. A quick uh, acquiescence. Yeah. But the but I think that 
you know, the, the, the times that I have hung on to it, the problem is it becomes about something other than what they're asking about, right? For me, it mm-hmm. becomes a battle of wills where like, mm-hmm. I say so, mm-hmm. you need to listen to me, this is the rule, mm-hmm. you know, and so it becomes something different than can I have ice cream? It becomes a sort of communication thing. So um, it's this sort of latest thing where I've been backing down early seems to be working out all right. And they still mm-hmm. respect when when I'm very firm about it, you know, they say they say please, and I say no. That's just the way it is. They ask three times, and I make them aware of it. You've asked me three times. My answer hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. You know, let's move on. Uh, so that seems to be working out okay. But it is. There have been times where I'm sure I've done it. Where you know you're at DefCon five or what is it? DefCon one, whichever one's the most mm-hmm. severe, and uh, and you just you know you just want it to stop. <laughs> you know, that's fine. You can. <laughs> Take whatever it is you're yelling about. I just wanted to stop. And uh, like I say, I'm sure I've done that more than once, but I am very sensitive about that, that it, that does reinforce that bad behavior. So good tips all around. Yeah, parenting definitely is a series of compromises uh, with the kids at times. I would also say that, you know, on my end, the kids are pretty good about no's. I mean, my younger one can go through a little bit more of the sort of the mini freak out it's not to the level of tantrums but they're generally pretty good if we know and yeah there's sort of a i think they get it after a few times asking it's right that it's been the third time nothing's changed and 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 they get the point and i i feel like we try to often say why no and usually the no is like well you had candy yesterday or you've already had candy tonight and i think that by doing that they seem to at least understand the rationale versus just no because I said so. And I my hope is is that that helps them process it a little bit more and then there's a a rationale behind it that they can grasp. They might not agree with it, but they understand in concept why you're saying no. And so we haven't had too many of these issues thankfully. I I the, the thing I guess I want to say is that Kids are also always sort of pushing the boundaries and they're always sort of trying to test and see how far they can go. And it's interesting how they're different in school versus at home. And they're very different at my parents' house, too. It's sort of an extension of, I guess, the school, you know, in terms of, you know, I need to be on slightly better behavior than what I am at home. And so I think there's also this dichotomy, too, of of who's saying no and where this is all happening. My guess is, you know, if they were to ask something to a teacher and the teacher said no, mm-hmm. like, okay, okay, yeah. it's fine, right? But right. when it's mom and dad, it's a little bit different. The grandparents may be a little bit different, right? So there's sort of the, depending on the group that they're speaking to, they will either say, okay, I understand that no after the first one, or they'll keep pushing it as far as they can until you get to that point of a freak out. Well, grandmas never say no anyhow, so that's uh, that's <laughs> off the table. You know yeah. what? We uh, There's also a strategy that we use. It's from a book. Um, I think the title of the book was the Say Yes to No Club. Mm-hmm. And it's about a guy who does exactly that. It's some kid who always you know won't take no for an answer. And the the strategy is that, uh, that the kid, you know, say yes to no. So take it, take it as no. If you want to know why, ask about it later. And mm-hmm. that seems to work, you know, because it kind of takes it out of the moment of, you know, can mm-hmm. I do this? Mm-hmm. No. Why not? Well, you, you know, the, the, the kid's supposed to learn to ask about that later. So then they can have that sort of rationale. Mm-hmm. So every once in a while, I'll pull that out of my back pocket. Like, you know, hey, it's a yes, no, to, say yes to no club. Mm-hmm. You know, learn how to say yes to no. And then we'll talk about it later. Mm-hmm. The next tip we have here is from Suspicious Music 494. 
and they say, make time for your kid, really make time. My son is nine now, and I'm lucky that I'm now able to give him the attention he deserves. When I was working myself to death, I was only home to sleep and get ready for work, and it affected him emotionally a lot. Now he's doing better with schooling, he has way less tantrums, is eating better, sleeping better, and just doing better overall. Oh, and then actually there is another person who added in here to add to this, make time for each kid individually, which is in bold. So what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I agree with uh, with both of those, especially the each kid individually. And we were uh, in the pre-COVID days when, when both my wife and I were working uh, out of the house and you and I have talked about the, you know, the swim lessons, the birthday mm-hmm. parties, whatever, just things were overscheduled. And we would have some times where early on my, my wife and I would sca- sta- excuse me stagger the day so that one of us would go to work early and come home early. The other would go to work late and stay late. And so there were times when maybe we got home too late and you know, it was already close to bedtime. And we didn't have a lot of time together. And so we, we had this other tip uh, from somebody else that said some book or whatever it is where my wife got it, where we had this special daddy-daughter time or mommy-daughter time one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And it it was remarkable. It was like black magic or voodoo or something. We just mm-hmm. we'd sit down for ten minutes, and the, the the girls knew that they had our undivided attention. We were going to do whatever they wanted to do, and it, like I said, we did ten minutes, twenty minutes, half an hour. But it didn't matter how long we did it; the effect was still the same. Mm-hmm. And they uh, and it it was remarkable how that helped their anxiety and helped their. Uh, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it is anxiety because there was, you know, again, when we got to COVID, there was a time when we could not keep our girls off of us when we were trying to work at home. They were just mm-hmm. all over us all the time. And then after a while, they kind of got used to the idea. And I got I got the sense that they were getting enough of us. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't so desperate to climb on us in the middle of a conference call or whatever. They just kind of, they knew that we were there mm-hmm. and they knew that they could come talk to us if they needed to. And so I think that absent that sort of COVID anomaly, making that special one-on-one time was really powerful. Yeah. I I mean, that time is so important. And you think about these days, it's so easy to be sucked out of the moment because we have our mobile devices. And then, you know, sometimes if you have an Apple watch, right, you put down the mobile phone and you're still getting text messages, (laughs) right. Or you're getting news alerts or whatever. So it's, it's hard, you know, it's just so much harder to stay in the moment with the kids. And I think that, really sort of that uh, intentional time of saying the phones are down, the distractions are down. I'm just going to spend 10 minutes with you one-on-one. You get my undivided attention it is, is so important. And, you know, we try and do some of that through meal times where we sit down together all the time and really have a conversation. And I've noticed this year, the kids are really pretty good, especially my five-year-old about when I ask, you know, how was your day and who did you play with and what was the snack and, you know, what did you learn that we're engaging in conversation, whereas maybe just a year ago, it was like, I don't know, or like a head nod or Mm -hmm. nothing coming out of his mouth. You know, I think at five, he is capable of carrying on a conversation and, and, and so we can get a little bit of insight into his day and that exchange of, uh, of learning what he did. And and also I think maybe to let him know, Hey, we're, we're interested in what's going on in your life. And so finding those times, whether it's mealtime or we read together every night, anywhere between, you know, it could be 10 to 15 minutes per kid. So you're roughly about 20 to 30 minutes a night. And that's 
each kid. And a lot of times what we'll do, assuming my wife's schedule works it out, is we'll actually switch kids. So I might start with the son while my wife is reading to the daughter. And then after our time, we'll actually switch children. And so maybe we'll continue the same book. Usually we'll switch books entirely also. Part of it is selfishly when I'm reading a book to her, I want to continue this. <laughs> I want to know what's going on. So I don't have to catch up. But um, yeah, I think that's you know one of the ways that we do it. And the other thing to think about is, you know, when we think about all this time and we think about how we spend time with the kids, I find that my five-year-old is really self-sufficient. I mean, he can play Lego all day long, which is both good and bad. It's, I mean, I'm glad that he has the attention span and can amuse himself. But the sort of the bad side, it's not really about him. It's more about us is that we go, oh, well, he's so easy. We don't have to... You know, we can just let him play. And that's not really what that means, right? Then he ends up getting the short end of the stick. If our daughter's like, oh, you know, I need some help with whatever, the sewing machine or this art project or whatever. And so because she's the more vocal one, she ends up getting some more, a little bit more of the time that he doesn't because he can sit there and play by himself. So if you're in that situation, I think it's also important to remember to spend time with that child who is you know more self-sufficient or can do things that is not uh, doesn't pull away from your time but you have to make sure to give that child their time as well so that you don't sort of have this imbalance uh, as as they kind of continue forth the next one we've got here is from pancake dan and he says which is a great name he says refrain from making one person be the disciplinarian and the other the consoler try to share the load you may fall into one category naturally, but there will be times that you want to be in the other role, and it will take time to transition out of the role you had, especially if you've done it a long time. This can turn into teenagers who do respect the consoler, or or in the opposite, teenagers who cannot open up to the disciplinarian. Yeah, discipline's a big one with parenting, obviously. That's yeah. kind of stating it. The obvious, but we, uh, so in our family, my wife and I are pretty good at sharing the disciplinarian rules, but we have different methods. And I think it's um, probably a function of my spending more time with the girls during the day when, uh, when my wife is working. And then she spends more time with them in the evenings. And I'm not, I think just by virtue of having more time with them in the afternoon after school, I think we've kind of come to this, this sort of understanding. Um, and I, could, I like to say I've done something right because they seem to they seem to understand my discipline doesn't have to be hard or loud or angry mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. We have a very sort of matter of fact thing. Like, you know, I asked you three times, don't, don't, you know, I don't want to talk about consequences and they'll just do it. And they'll do whatever mm-hmm. it is that I'm asking about. So we've got a, a sort of, um, transactional sort of style going on. Whereas, um, my wife, I think is a little bit more, uh, the, the authoritarian, mm. um, not the disciplinary, but more of an authoritarian approach. And, um, so I think it's pretty fair. And then we, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's entirely true because each of the kids has a different attachment parent. Uh, the younger one is more attached to me. The older one's more attached to, to uh, my wife. Um, and so sometimes in that sense, you know, we'll, we'll console we'll, mm-hmm. the, the, the disciplined child will come to the attachment parent for consolation. Mm-hmm. But I think that's less about roles and more about relationships. Yeah. Before you guys had kids, did you, or I guess while you were expecting, did you have the discussion about like, who do you think is going to be the disciplinarian? Did that ever come up? I don't think we did. Did you? We did. Um, I, I don't know that we necessarily 
had an agreement. It was really more that we were talking like, who do you think? Versus mm-hmm. less like, this is your job and this is my job. And I think we both agreed that the kids were going to walk all over me. And <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, that is exactly the opposite of what has happened. I've been the one. I think part of it, too, is I guess where I've been the disciplinarian is I think that there are certain things where I'm like, look, if we're trying to accomplish certain things and discipline can mean all sorts of things, right? So for me, disciplinary or disciplinarian is also, Hey, it is eight thirty, lights out right. or, you know, something like that. And so it's just sort of having that framework. Right. And so for me, I've always thought of the, the sleep being such an important part of, uh, of, you know, not being a child, but, you know, they sort of need a certain number of hours of sleep to be refreshed and to be ready for the day. Whereas my wife would let that slip a little bit more when they were younger. I think now we're kind of the kids roughly know when it's time to go to sleep anyway. But so I think there's sort of the disciplinarian in that sense. And then there's also the, hey, you're acting out or, you know, you're whatever, throwing a haymaker at your sister, you know, those (laughs) kinds of things. Right. Um, And so I've I've sort of uh, fallen into both of those roles. But where I do think that this is not quite what the what the original poster was saying, but I think the way it's sort of netted out for us, because I am a little bit more of the disciplinarian, is that the kids, uh, I don't want to say respect me more, but I suppose when I talk, they understand the consequences more than when my wife asks them to do something. And I think that that's, that is something that we have to work on, right? Because there's sort of a sense of like, well, I can get away with this with mom or I can, I'll, I'm going to make her ask me to do this thing five times versus I know with dad, he's going to ask me twice. Mm -hmm. And if I don't do it, there's going to be problems. Right. So I think some of that is right there. They're right. Again, like this boundaries, right. They have sort of, they've understood the roles that we play and they're pushing those as far as they go. And it's really a function of how structured and rigid are you? And, but that's not to say though, that that doesn't create problems for my wife, right? When she's asking them to do something and it takes her five times. And sometimes she's like, look, can you ask them to do it? And I'm like, I ask them once and they jump to it. Right. So we have to kind of even that out a little bit. Right. So that it, it, the kids really, you know, I mean, look, we'll also find the kids that are like, they'll ask, they'll, they'll ask me something. I say no. And then they'll go to mom. Right. Cause maybe she'll say something different. Right. So it's just sort of. I think figuring out how to all be on the same page. And yeah, I think that sort of distributing those roles is probably the ideal, but it's not quite how we've kind of rolled into it yet. So the next one we have here is from throwaway for you 2021. And they say, start learning about your emotions now, not how to control them or make them go away, but how to identify name, acknowledge, breathe with love and accept them. Then learn what they're trying to tell you about what you need and want. Life gets a load easier when you can do this. It also saves your child years of therapy. And then they say, read the the book you wish your parents had read, which is, I guess, the name of the book. I Having kids really helped me understand my emotions better as I try to relate to them. And the, the thing that, that I thought of with this tweet or Reddit post, I suppose, mm. is that... Uh, is that my behavior is exactly the same. It just, I just, I cloak it in adult, you know, sophistication (laughs) and big words and behaviors, but it's totally the same. You know, it's either, it comes down to either not getting my way or then I'm afraid of something, right? Uh That, Uh uh, you know, if we're having, let's say there's a meltdown in the the store or, you know, they're, I'm not getting my way and that they're not going fast enough Mm -hmm. or 
um, or there is a tantrum in public and, and I'm taking it personally, you know, parents are looking at me yeah, and yeah. so then I'm embarrassed. And so then I've got fear that people are judging me or whatever. So a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the, the behaviors in my kids are exactly my behaviors. They just look a little bit different. And, you know, I realize that it's just in my head. I'm, I'm having a temper tantrum meltdown inside. <laughs> I just do a better job of putting up a, uh-huh. a, a, a good face on it. So I think because of that I've, I pay attention to whether or not they're, the girls are, are hungry or tired or thirsty, all those things, uh, you know, end up contributing to clear behavior. I mean, there gets to a place where it's like they lose the rational thought and there's just no way it's, it, they, they aren't responding to, well, certainly when they're younger, not so much now, but they're not quite responding to the words. Right. Mm-hmm, and it becomes mm-hmm. something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I mean, that's something that happens to me. So, um, if I can recognize that a lot of how I'm feeling in the moment is about me, mm-hmm. I can take that out of the picture and then start to be of service to my, to my girls, mm-hmm. you know, start to figure out where they are, kind of think of it from their, from uh, their perspective. And it helps me have empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, you know, if we talk about emotions also, certainly one of the most important ones as a parent is just patience because especially when the kids are younger, they're going through things, it's natural, right? And all kids are going to process things differently. And it's just sort of having the patience to let them work through things or also for yourself, right? To not kind of freak out and lose it. Uh, you know, for me, certainly I try and when I, you know, you can sort of tell when your frustration's building and when you're going to, when you're getting close to losing it. And then the thing is, can you step back from the abyss or do you kind of push through that and just lose it? And, so one of the things that I'm working on doing, right, is just sort of, you know, just taking that breath. And once you start to recognize that your sort of frustration is starting to creep up, just take a step away, let it kind of settle back down, get back down to zero, and then sort of come back into the situation and see if, if that helps you handle it better. I find that it does for myself. So it doesn't mean that, look, if the kid's crying, you know what, if you need to compose yourself, let them cry for a little bit. It's okay. Mm-hmm. This is like, it's mm-hmm. not the end of the world. And right. I mean, we're, that's the same for a newborn as it is for an eight year old, right? If they're freaking out, just let them freak out. Cause if they're freaking out is stressing you out and then you start freaking out because they're freaking out right now, we've got this unwhole, you know, this, this terrible cycle of uh, frustration and, and stuff going on. So you're better off just sort of understanding where you are walking away from the situation let them keep going and then when you've calmed down a little bit i mean assuming it doesn't take like an hour for you to calm down but you know for you to kind of come back into the situation with uh, a bit of a sort of a cleaner head and one where your own you know you, you sort of ratcheted down the emotion there you know for me also as i notice things getting a little bit out of hand i'll i'll sort of give them a verbal warning like things are not going if this continues things are going to get pretty bad for both of us and that usually everybody usually gets the sense that okay like we're hitting the red line let's all sort of back down right let's all sort of take a breath <laughs> let's all just calm down before you know world war three erupts and that that seems to work and i think it does give both sides a beat of like okay i, I need to check myself because i i have now said that we're, we are at the very limit of where i'm going and the kids also go okay this is gonna start turning really ugly pretty soon and so i think it it helps us both come back from the precipice as as they say All right, so the next one is from Culps001, and they say, For the love of God, accept all the help. 
let other people clean, bring you food, and watch your kids while you sleep. It really does take a village, and for some reason, we want to be able to do everything ourselves. It's complete nonsense. So, Jim, I know we both have strong opinions on this one. Why don't you go ahead and take the lead here? Yeah, this one's easy. This is not the time for pride of self-sufficiency. This is <laughs> yeah. the time to get help. And, you know, there, there is a an impulse to just, you know, how is everything? Everything's fine. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. You know, can I do this for you? No, you can't. And then I think that's the other side of it is as those people who are offering help, it's, you know, anytime I say, hey, is there anything I can do for you? Mm-hmm. The answer is going to be no. But if it's, can I bring in some food? Maybe they're going to say yes. But more importantly, it's like, I'm going to bring you some food. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then they've got to say, no, no, don't do that. And it's like, no, it's, that's my thing. You know, it's not yours. I'm going to bring you some food. So I think for the other people being aggressive about offering help in a very sort of matter of fact way, I think is important. And then accept the help. You know, this is everyone else knows you need the help right now. It's particularly those who have been through it. You know, right. there's no, you're not telling anything that uh, you're not fooling anybody, mm-hmm. you know, so just take the help when it's offered. Yeah. And uh, f- I mean, I'm glad they talk about food in particular, because I think when you have a newborn, food is honestly the greatest gift, short of somebody saying, I'll, I'll babysit your child for a little while. But, you know, when they're a newborn, you don't want anybody, you know, anyone, you don't want to be away from your child. So that's not like a realistic thing, I think, even if it's, say, your brother or sister who already has kids who knows what they're doing right like you still you want to be with that child all the time but i think food is so important because that's one of the first things i think that goes when you have a newborn because you're so tired that you're like i'm not i don't have the patience to eat well and to make anything and to do the dishes and to kind of cook and clean and all that other stuff but that's so important to just kind of keep you in the right headspace and you're already sleep deprived and if on top of that you're sleep deprived and you're not eating well or you're just eating you know cereal or a sandwich and a bag of chips or something like that's not helping either so food absolutely is great but yeah i mean cannot underline enough that accept the help when it's offered and certainly from you know yeah the people that have been there they know you need it uh, and there's nothing wrong with taking that help and they're offering it because they genuinely you know would like to sort of help you and they've been through the process they know what it's like and so take that take that help So here we've got something from, it looks like, (laughs) hanging on with two fingers. (laughs) And they say, uh, for infants, buy everything at Ikea. The infant furniture slash toys is ridiculously overpriced. You don't need a $200 high chair. You don't need a $500 crib. You don't need a $500 nursing chair. You don't need a $150 baby carrier. Save your money and only spend it on a really good car seat. Don't agonize over the stroller, rocker, swing, baby carrier. They mostly do all the same thing, and a small difference won't be noticeable when you're using it. Yeah, I I, I partially agree with this. Some of this, so much of the stuff they're going to outgrow, or developmentally, it's not, it's only going to be for a short while. And so mm-hmm. that stuff, I think, definitely, it's all functional. You know, if it's yeah. on the market, it's going to be safe. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's no reason to splurge and it easy it's easy to do as parents but like you know not only there's sure there's the, like i want my kids to have the best but more importantly it's what is you know um if i'm going to spend four hundred dollars or five hundred dollars you know why not what's the extra five hundred dollars and or the extra hundred dollars mm-hmm. um then it's easy to get kind of ratcheted up in that way but my my wife and i we did spend some money um on some high-end stuff that we got lots of use out of you know for example we had a, a bassinet that 
turned into a crib, um, mm. and then we used that for both the both girls. We had uh, we have we had car seats that were the the click-in style with mm-hmm. uh, the baby yeah. carrier, and then that somehow converted into a car seat. Mm-hmm. Now we've got car seats that convert into um, into a booster seats as yeah. the the girls are getting older. We had a stroller that you know started with the bassinet, and then you could put the stroller on there, and then you could put you know put two seats on there, and then you right. could have two seats with the rolling skateboard, and so it, it was able to be configured for you mm-hmm. know almost all the childhood. So we didn't have to didn't have to upgrade or buy anything else. So that uh, so I agree, cheap when you can, uh, but mm-hmm. I'll add the caveat that I went ahead and spent money on the things that we we're going to use for a longer time, and that could be converted for multiple developmental stages. Yeah, so I absolutely agree with you. I think that generally speaking, right, you don't need to go out and buy the best stuff. It's They're going to grow out of it pretty quickly. But I also agree that there are certain things that are worth paying for. So I've talked about this before. We bought the uh, the GB Pocket Stroller. There's a little bit of a premium to that because it, it is, it's the smallest stroller apparently in the world when it's folded up. And so when you're traveling, that is absolutely critical and it saves you time and, you know, all this other stuff. And so, I, yeah, I think, you know, just like you, there are certain certainly targeted things that it makes sense to spend a little bit more on. And, and also for those things where, you know, if you buy the sort of the stroller that can handle all stages, then you're not constantly buying a new stroller every kind of, year or year and a half so there's also that piece to it and i think that's where it makes sense to to spend a little bit more i'm curious so so you did say that you had splurged on a few areas is there anything that you purchased that you regretted because you're like man in hindsight like that was a newbie parent move and i got bamboozled by a bunch of marketing and it was a complete waste of money (laughs) i'm sure there was i think a lot of those things were the things that i can think of that I had those reactions to were probably gifts, things gifts, that I probably wouldn't yeah. have bought myself, but things that other people bought me, and and they did just seem like a like a joke. But I mean, you know, as an as an early parent, uh, a lot of it's just desperation. You know, mm-hmm. we talked to. I mean, obviously, big theme of this podcast is sleep, mm-hmm. and anything, anything that was yeah. going to help the kids sleep, man, I would have thrown money at it. As, <laughs> you know, all day long. Yeah. So anyhow, I mean, the, I think the one thing that comes to mind is we had a little uh, uh, like rocking, uh, self-rocking chair, mm-hmm. um, a little swing, and uh, it, it did not live up to the hype. It ended up, mm-hmm. the cats ended up swinging in it more than the kids did. <laughs> so, but uh, awesome. that was probably money we didn't need to spend. Well, our, our swing experience was the exact opposite. That thing was golden. Pop the kid in, like get a little bit of quiet. And it worked for both kids, thankfully. Um, so yeah, that was, that was awesome. I, you know, the one thing that I regretted purchasing. So I remember, uh, reading about how certain kids just take to certain nipple types. Right. And you're like, what? Oh yeah. They're all different. And, um, I think I bought, so we had already decided, or I guess my wife had already decided she wanted to nurse, but you know, I was like, okay, just in case. So I went out and bought some bottles before the, you know, before we had the kid and I believe I bought five different brands of bottles because I'm like, well, all the nipples are different. And the one that I absolutely hated was the Doc Browns, man. Yeah, I, I was it, just going to say right? that. <laughs> it's like, I do regret that. Right? It's like a seven parts to that thing. And it takes yeah. you like forever to clean it. And I I do know people that have had colicky babies and they swear by Doc Browns. No, so, we had colicky, and, but no. <laughs> it didn't work for you. It didn't work. But yeah, that, I mean, and that, but that was not a really expensive thing. But I'm like, man, that was... 
that was money not well spent. Yeah. <laughs> That's not yeah. well spent at all. And my kids, neither kid ever showed a preference for one type of nipple or the other. It was really just that's like newbie parent worrying stuff where the second one comes around and you know, you're like, whatever, who cares? <laughs> but uh, as the newbie parent, I'm like, we got to spend on five different types. And it all made sense at the time. Yeah, we we had uh, a lot of spending on bottles too because we we did have colic. The older one was colicky, and mm. so again there was that desperation of we got it. You know, we had to try everything. <laughs> Anything, yeah. And a lot of it is just gimmicky. You know, the, mm. the Doc Browns is one of them, and I don't remember the name of the the bottle. We obviously we uh, uh, ultimately settled on, but the other four or five that we had just worthless, and it's just <laughs> clutter. You know, it just yeah. cluttered up the kitchen and hard yeah. to clean all that. So yeah. Um, yeah. But I guess we had to go there to get here, right? We had to go through that all those bottles yeah. to find the one that we, we liked. You know, and speaking about splurging, one thing that I absolutely would have splurged on, and I looked for it too, is I wanted a tabletop dishwasher that was small enough for just the baby bottles. Because I didn't have enough baby bottles. Like, there were only two adults and one child at the time for our first one. So it wasn't enough to kind of fill the dishwasher quickly enough. And so I, I absolutely hated doing those baby bottles. And I would have thrown any sum of money if you could just make me a desk, like a, a countertop dishwasher that handled, say, five bottles, just like a day's worth of bottles or seven bottles. And that was it. It's just low amounts of water and just put that thing in at the end of the day. And then I wake up in the morning and all the bottles are done. What if, I would have thrown any amount of money for that. Million dollar Last, idea. Uh, yes, alas, I believe we're still not there. But anyway, uh, so the next one we've got here is from Work Me Baby one more time. These so hey, hey, before we go on, what is your Reddit handle if you want to share it? Uh, you know, is, what? It, is it as good as this? No, it's not. I can't. I, you know what? It's been a little while since I actually logged into Reddit. I cannot remember anymore. But yes, it, these uh, these handles are getting better as we go down oh, actually now i'm looking the, the last couple aren't as good but yeah we had a, a nice little uh a nice little run here of good handles yeah all right work me baby one more time what do they so, say yeah we're maybe saying uh making my kids be members of the clean plate club so many arguments over the dinner table bargaining etc for nothing really especially with my son who vomits if he eats the wrong thing just dumb pick your battles this was not a good battle to pick. It damaged my relationship with my son. Also, teenagers are a pain to wake up. Their body is on a different schedule. I'll skip the teenager thing because that was certainly my experience as a teenager, but you know we're not yeah. there yet. Uh, yeah, I, the clean play club would never really made sense to me, and mm -hmm. I, I don't force that on, on my girls. They, we loosely follow the three-bite rule that they've got to at least try three bites of everything on their plate. And, and that's fine. And then I trust them. You know, I ask them, they want to be excused. If, is their stomach full? I trust them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, what's the worst that could happen? They get a little bit hungry later. But I want them to learn how to regulate their own, uh, you know, have some, mm -hmm. some physical education and, and learn about their body and when they're full and when they're not. So I will, I'll take their word for that. And sometimes there's some bargaining, um, you know, for, uh, you know, if you want to have dessert, you've got to finish your vegetables. Mm -hmm. And there will be times when they'll make that decision that they won't have ice cream because they don't want to finish their vegetables. And that's fine. So really kind of put the onus on them for, for making sure that they're full and that they're, they're having food that they like. Yeah. I feel like the whole clean plate club thing is sort of a vestige of more of the older parent generation, right? Like depression era. Of, 
Yeah, and even like, I mean, you know, for people that grew up in the 80s, right, all the sort of the hunger, the famine stuff, like the, you know, like it was, there's the, you know, think about all these poor kids who don't have any food, which is, I mean, that obviously the sort of, that's not to make light of the fact that there still are tremendous issues around, you know, food and all that stuff. But that, that I think was a, a sort of a big social issue in the 80s. And again, not to underplay that. And certainly in the United States, food insecurity is a huge thing. But it feels like, that is a sort of a vestige of of for when um, Xers were growing up and hearing that right from their parents, like you got to eat all, you know, clean everything out. And so I do think that that's sort of a an outdated kind of concept. And I think most days now, yeah, I, I think I agree that most people think about food and the relationship that you have to food and understanding that if I just tell you to finish your plate, that's not helping you understand you know, the, the signs that you're full. And so then you base, and I, you know, I recognize this in myself that sometimes I'm eating and I'm like, wait a minute, why am I eating here? I'm not actually hungry. I should stop eating. I think that if you grow up with that sort of, I have to finish the clean plate, clean plate, clean plate. I think that, yeah, you do learn to ignore the signs that you are full, which is not really, uh, which is not very healthy. So, I, I will say that you know it's really difficult though when you have a picky eater and how you sort of manage the sort of balance between eating something and the fact that they don't want to eat anything and, and and just kind of how you how you manage these and and also again it's that pick your battle right do you with a picky eater are you going to sit there and force them to eat something when they may not want to eat something or do you just say okay well. You know, they didn't eat much for dinner, but they'll probably make it up tomorrow for breakfast or during the course of the day. And I think overall, right, food is, it's really a, it's an overall, it's not just the the thing you consume that one day, right? It's, did you have enough to eat over the course of the week is much more important than did you have enough calories during that one day? So, you know, I, I, I uh, agree with that as well. So the next one we have is from Nomark6423, and they say, They say, say sorry when you're wrong. I apologize if I punish too quickly or too harshly or if I get moody. I always tell her why I think I did what I did. And I don't just say no. My dad was a, (laughs) my dad was a dick and would often say no for no discernible reason without explanation. I've lived my life in keeping with my promise to never say because I said so. And I'm proud of it. It's all in treating them like people and not like objects you own. I don't mean to sound condescending, but this is information I needed. I still do. I was treated as second class, told to shut up and listen, go away, stand in a corner, etc. My wife has really helped me become a parent. I actually never wanted a child because I just knew I'd be the worst dad because of what I went through. Gotta break the chain. That's a heavy post. Yeah. Um, but what resonated with me is the uh, is treating them like people. And that's mm-hmm. that's something that I had to realize and it became easier as they became more conversive and, mm-hmm. um, you know, had more, had more stronger, less, uh, taking care of a little screaming thing and more of a relationship with a little kid and recognizing that they are just little people. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's important to be fair and I acknowledge my mistakes. And if there was a time where maybe I snapped at them uh, a little bit later, I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I was frustrated and you know, and I'm tired, and I I didn't make a good decision, so I'm I want to apologize, and it's f- as much for me as it is for them, you know, just to know that I'm I'm trying to be, I'm trying to treat them with respect as little people. Yeah, I mean, I think 
just like hopefully we would do for an adult to apologize when we were you know out of bounds or whatever that I also do that with the kids and I think yeah saying I'm sorry and explaining why things happen I think is important and I also like this sort of explaining the reasons why you said no and I've talked about this on a couple other podcasts where um, I had a play date with another parent at the school and you know, our kids were in the playground and one of the kids was going to eat some flowers. Unbeknownst to me, apparently, uh, he's learning actually what um, what vegetation can be eaten in an urban landscape. So there's actually a reason for it. But what uh, what both of us said was, hey, don't." well, we both said sort of don't eat, you know, don't eat the flowers and the leaves. And I left it at that. But this parent said... Why don't we? She said, don't, We don't do that. Why don't we do it? And I thought that that was really interesting because it wasn't something that I'd really thought of. And I mean, I mean, my kid was already, whatever, four years old. And I just, it really hadn't occurred to me that, yes, of course, like it helps them if you tell them why you're saying what you're saying as opposed to just the hard, firm no, which is like a, it's a no because I said so, which is not super useful f- for anybody, right? You're not learning anything from that experience. And I always look back on that and I try and think about, that experience when I am telling the kids no for, especially when I have a, a reason that might not be obvious to them at first, simply because it's maybe more complicated. And, you know, certainly as when the kids are younger, their ability to sort of project uh, the consequences of their actions is not there yet. And I think that that helps them understand, okay, we don't eat flowers because we can get sick or, you know, whatever it is. Right. And I, I think, yeah, key to that is really the sort of, not you know don't just say no and just leave it at that it really is that explaining it to them and and i think in that that shows that you're sort of treating them as equals and i do think that they you know kids do pick up on the difference in how you interact with adults and when they get a sense that okay i'm you know you're sort of interacting with me as an adult i think is is good for their confidence as well all right so the last one we have here is from cat r beanie And uh, they say, feeling embarrassed when my kid had a tantrum. I no longer give a crap about being stared at when my seven-year-old autistic son is screaming on the ground in the supermarket, street, wherever. People walk past and, yeah, some are silently judging you. Others are there in silent solidarity, having been there themselves. Every parent has had a moment like that. I don't give a crap what people think. Deal with your kid and move on. No point worrying about people you'll likely never see again. You have nothing to be embarrassed about. Yeah, I can only imagine with a with an autistic child. Uh, it sounds like that may be an exceptionally challenging tantrum situation. But from so from my experience, the the tantrum, yeah, it happens, and mm-hmm. it happens everywhere: restaurants, airports, whatever. And uh, my approach has always been just to stay calm because you know maybe even lower my voice just a little bit more because the. I think the worst thing would be when the parent loses their control, loses their temper, and then it becomes two people having a temper tantrum. And then, I mean, I've witnessed that uh, as another parent watching, uh, watching one parent really escalating a tantrum Mm -hmm. and it's painful to watch. I mean, for both the parent and the kid. So, you know, if I could just stay calm and it is, it's, it's their deal. You know, we Mm -hmm. talk about our kids as little people, uh, you know, their temper tantrum really shouldn't be a reflection on me as a parent. You know, it's something that happens. I'm going to do my best to control it, you know, talk it out quietly and firmly and and move on. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the the, uh, 
post is correct in saying that there are absolutely a group of parents that are there that are feeling sympathy for you, right? That they they have been in that situation before. They're not judging you. They know what it's like to be in your situation. And so, you know, it, as they say, right, you're never going to see these people ever again. So just kind of you do you and, you know, take the time that you need to sort of de-escalate the situation. But don't worry about all these other people around you that whatever, who cares what they think? You're never going to see them again. Uh, so just kind of you know, control the situation in, in terms of the way that it makes sense for you and your child. And that's, I think that's all you have to worry about there. So if we kind of reflect back on this whole list, Jim, I'm wondering what the one bit of advice that you think here is, is missing. Well, kind of piggybacking on the last topic, it's, it's save the judgments. You know, there's no reason to be judgy of yourself or your spouse and, uh, you know, deal with facts, deal with problem solving, deal with co-parenting, you know, work on a co-parenting relationship that that is healthy and helpful for everyone in the family. Um, otherwise, I mean, it's easy to get wrapped up in emotions and blaming and resentment and that just, you know, causes problems. And I I read once in in some article that there are spikes in divorce at ages two and three, and then again in the early teenage years. Mm. And I I wish I could find the citation for that, uh, because this is just anecdotal at this time. But what the article said is that at ages two and three, that's when things are really getting challenging. You know, as an infant, you know, you're kind of in the moment, you can kind of deal with it. But two or three, and that's when these sort of behaviors that we're talking about start to come out, and it can be really challenging. And then if there are you know, fractures in the relationship or some sort of weak spot that's really going to expose that. And yeah. then the other is uh, in the early teenage years when, when I guess the one parent will start to see the some um, unattractive behaviors in the kid that they think they got from the other spouse. Mm-hmm. And so then it's something about seeing that reflected in their kids is can be very challenging. But those are all those are judgments, you know, mm-hmm. and saving that, uh, learning how to recognize when I'm judging and take steps to, uh, to turn that around. I think it was really important. And it's that those sorts of judgments, particularly of, of each other are just going to get in the way of the relationship and, and of parenting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The one that I have talked about frequently that I think is missing here is the self care piece, right? So, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself, that's when things go south, right? That, and if you're not taking care of yourself, it's it's so much harder to take care of someone else, especially a little person who's you know, growing into the world and everything. So, I think that that's you know when you your emotions start to get frayed and when your fuse gets shorter, and then a lot of these negative things happen, right? Where you you've ratcheted up the stress level and all these things. And we talked about in episode 29 when we were talking about uh, going back to school, right? How it, your anxiety, if you have anxiety around the return to school this year likely it's going to, depending on how it manifests itself, it may end up being transferred to your child, right? Where they sense that you're anxious about them going back to school and they then take that anxiety with them and they may not even understand why they should be anxious or, you know, really what's going on outside of the fact that, oh, I maybe have to wear a mask to school, right? So you can be creating a situation where your child is anxious, where they're really, they're not themselves are not feeling any bit of anxious other than the fact that they're picking up on your anxiety. And so I think that self-care piece is really important. If you can't take care of yourself, again, it's it's just it's so much harder to be responsible for other people and and you know how your your own emotions interact with those other people. So that is the big one. And that to me has always been one of the biggest challenges. It's just 
finding the time to do that self-care in, in whatever way that it makes sense for you, whether, I don't know, it's reading the book or going to the gym or sewing or whatever it is, cooking, but really do spend the time that's necessary to take care of yourself. We hope you found today's episode informative. If you'd like to support the podcast and hear more discussions around fatherhood, please subscribe and drop us a review. If you have any questions, hit us up on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash papayfatigue. That's P-A-P-A-E-S-T-F-A-T-I-G-U-E. Thanks for listening.